right, and we are back once again. I am Lee Grant, and as you can see, Kevin Pendergrass is not with us. Unfortunately, Kevin has taken ill. He has lost his voice, and so you're stuck with me this evening. This evening, we are going to continue a short series that we had started a while back on... Let me move this out of the way. This is getting in the way here. There we go. That's a little bit better. We had started a series not too long ago that we're doing non-sequentially. What that means is, is we're not doing each episode one right after the other. We're breaking it up with other topics and other guests and other things to discuss. But we had started a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And over there in Galatians 5, we read about the fruit of the Spirit. And it's an important topic to discuss. And the reason why it's important and the reason why Kevin and I elected to do a series on the fruit of the Spirit is because one of the most common questions that Kevin receives, one of the most common questions that I receive, whenever you begin to deconstruct your faith and you begin to detoxify your faith, one of the questions we commonly get is, well, what do we do with it? What, what do we replace it with? Because as we go through our lives and we begin to see the legalism and the poison and the pain and the problems that that kind of faith system can engender within our own lives, we see that it's problematic. We see that it's harmful. And then we desire to, uh, to eliminate that problem and we want to replace it with something else. Most of the people that begin that deconstruction process, they want to stay involved with faith. They want to retain faith. But a lot of times they don't really know what to do once they've deconstructed that paradigm that they've held to before. And so with that in mind, one of the questions we get is, is if this manner of reading the Bible isn't how we should read the Bible, if reading the Bible like a, what Kevin calls a Christian constitution or a Christian law book, if this isn't the way the Bible should be read, well, then how should we read it? How do I approach the scriptures? Where do I even begin? Because for a lot of us, we are conditioned and programmed to view the Bible in a specific way. Whenever you're a kid, you don't choose how you're going to read the scriptures. Your parents teach you their value system. They teach you what's important. They begin to work with you to foster within you the morality that makes the most sense to them. And oftentimes it's the passing of the torch of the tradition that their great grandparents gave to their grandparents that gave to their parents that gave to them that they give to you in families in which faith is a very important thing and a very important concept, which in my family it was, that's how things tend to break down. That's how things tend to work. We receive the faith of our parents. We take that faith, we integrate it. And whenever we're very, very young, we accept it as just a matter of course. Whenever we begin to think more rationally, whenever we begin to think for ourselves, we may begin to question some of the presuppositions that we were conditioned to believe. We may begin to reevaluate those things to see if they still hold water. And for a lot of people, it does hold water. For a lot of people, the faith paradigm that they inherit, especially if it's a healthy faith paradigm, is one that most people feel perfectly comfortable and content to continue to pass on to their children. But whenever you come from a highly legalistic, high-performance-based faith system in which your behaviors and what you believe, the, the concepts and constructs that you mentally assent to, whenever that is 
the basis of your faith and your adherence to those sets of propositions and your ability to engage in the right behavior in the right places at the right time. Whenever that your entire spiritual worth and your entire spiritual value is predicated upon that, well, it can be really scary to undo that. It can be really scary to begin to explore around the edges of your faith in pursuit of God's grace. And that prospect's terrifying, especially when it's the only type of faith that's ever been modeled for you. And you really have no other options in your own mind. You don't even know where to start. And so for a lot of people that have come from the same place that Kevin has come from and that I have come from and so many within the churches of Christ and not just the churches of Christ, but in so many legalistic systems and so many legalistic faith paradigms, the question is, well, what do I do now? What does faith look like? If faith isn't the adherence to a set of rules and propositions and beliefs that that God has established for me to follow, if that's not what this is all about, well, then what do I do? What do I base my faith on? And so the first thing that we want to base our faith on, at least this is where I've landed. This is what I believe. And Kevin and I have talked about this at length over and over and over again on this podcast is that my faith needs to exemplify the person of Jesus. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. The Bible tells us Jesus is who we aspire to be like. To be a Christian literally means to be Christ-like, to be like Jesus. And so with that in mind, we look at Jesus' life. We look at what he stood for. We look at the paradigm he followed. And then we seek to, to implement that philosophy, that mindset, those behaviors. We seek to amplify or to exemplify those character qualities in our own lives, in our own faith. And for a lot of people, it's, that's, that's a foreign concept. It was to me, Kevin and I had multiple conversations whenever I began to go through my paradigm shift of what is that? What does that even look like? Because it's not really anything that had ever been modeled for me. I mean, it had been modeled for me by my mother and to a lesser extent, my dad for a long time. But for a lot of people, that isn't something that isn't a faith that's been modeled for them. They don't really know what that looks like. And so it's, it's easy to say, well, just model your life after Jesus and follow what he says. But then the question is, well, how do I do that? What does that look like? And how do I know that I'm doing it the right way? Because whenever you come from a faith system in which you are so focused on doing everything the right way and having all the right answers and all the right beliefs and you want to be right, 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 that fear of being wrong can still manifest itself. It's still something that could come up. It's still something that that manages to, to, to come around in whenever we least expect it, whenever we least want it to. And so for a little while, let me check on something here. Technical glitch, be right back. All right, and we are back. Got it taken care of. In any case, what I was saying before is, is whenever you are your faith is based on fear. It's based on being right. And you are so afraid of getting something wrong. You're just terrified of being wrong. That still can manifest itself in such a way to where even though you're following Jesus, even though you're, you're giving it your best effort to model your life after him, and you're really trying to love God with everything you have in you, you're, you're doing your best to love your neighbor as yourself and even to love your enemies and even to love those that, that hate you. Maybe those people that hate you are are those family members that you've left behind. 
Maybe it's a family that maybe you didn't leave them behind, but they left you behind because your faith perspective shifted. You have a more inclusive, grace-centered, Christ-centered faith, and that's you know considered blasphemy in the eyes of your family. Maybe they left you behind. Well, the question is, is how can I know I'm doing what God said to do? How can I know that I am the Christian that God wants me to be? If it's not based on this list of rules to follow, how can I know? And that's really where the fruit of the Spirit comes in. The fruit of the Spirit is, in my mind, a measure of your life to know if you are walking with God. It's a whole lot simpler than trying to ratify a list of rules and regulations to follow. It's simpler in concept, but it's much more difficult in execution because it's not just about managing your behavior. It's not just about making sure that you're doing all of the right things. Okay, I'm going to church every Sunday and every Wednesday. I'm not growing my hair long if I'm a dude. I'm not cutting my hair if I'm a lady. I'm not wearing pants if I'm a lady. I'm making sure I'm wearing long pants and I don't wear shorts if I'm a dude. I'm making sure that I don't get tattoos. I'm making sure I don't drink alcohol. I'm making sure I don't cuss. I'm making sure I don't smoke. You know, I'm making sure that I don't even go to R-rated movies. You know what? I don't even go to the movie theater, period, because if I get out and I walk into the movies, how do I know someone I know isn't going to see me and they're going to think, oh, I bet he's going to see an R-rated movie. Oh, my goodness. What, what will other people think? I mean, yeah, you might not be going to the movies, but do you really want to put yourself in that situation where you might be tempted to see an R-rated movie and where someone might see and, and on and on it goes? That creating a list and following that list, in a lot of ways, it's easier than living a fully faith-centered, Christ-centered life that exemplifies what it means to be Jesus to the world. It's a lot easier to do that but you'll drive yourself insane and and then you end up creating laws where God made none. And then is that even Christianity? I would say that it isn't. I would say that most of what Christianity is today and how it's practiced and how it's observed, it's not really Christianity as, as the Bible teaches Christianity. So how can we know what it is? The fruit of the spirit is a gauge. It's a measure that we can use to ensure that we are keeping the right focus, the right focus. We're keeping the main thing, the main thing. Because as we seek to allow Christ and the Holy Spirit to transform our lives, we will see that. We should see that manifest in a change in us, in who we are. Not just the things we do, not just the way we wear our hair, not just in the clothes that we wear. I mean, maybe some of those things will change. Maybe they'll change as a matter of course, but those aren't the things that make you holy in God's sight. There's nothing you can do to be holy in God's sight. The only thing that makes you holy in God's sight is the blood of Christ cleansing you from your sins and the Holy Spirit working within you to transform you. But we have to open ourselves up to be receptive to that transformation, and we have to be willing to allow God to work on us and work through us in this life. And when we have fully surrendered to the will of God, when we have fully surrendered to that Spirit, we'll grow in love. We'll grow in joy. We'll grow in peace. We'll grow in patience. We'll grow in meekness and gentleness and self-control. We'll grow in the fruit of the Spirit. So in Galatians 5.22, I got my handy dandy iPad here. Galatians 5 and 22, the Bible talks, well, let's back up a little bit. The Bible discusses the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh, we'll start in verse 16. 
the apostle writes, Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now, the entire point of Galatians, you have these Christians in Galatia that are being pressured to go back to the old ways of the Mosaic Law. They have Jewish brethren who mean well, who want to be pleasing unto God. And from their perspective, the only way that these new Gentile converts and even some of their Jewish brethren that are now following Jesus, the only way that they can be pleasing unto God is if they continue to keep the law of Moses. They continue to keep the feasts. They continue to keep the holiness codes and standards within the law of Moses. That's the only way. And specifically, what they're pushing harder than anything else is circumcision. That's been a sign of their covenant with God for over 2,000 years at this point. And to just take something like that and say it's no longer necessary, that is scandalous. Scandalous. In Church of Christ parlance, it'd be like saying, well, for the Lord's Supper, we're going to have root beer and pizza to observe the Lord's Supper. It's, it's incredibly scandalous. It was, it, was a, it was a huge deal. So you have these Jews that are trying to, these Jewish Christians that are trying to, to bind circumcision and the other aspects of the law of Moses on their Christian brethren. And the book of Galatians is about why that is not necessary. Jesus has cleansed you. Jesus has done away with that covenant. It is no longer in force. You are no longer bound by it. If you want to observe it, don't let anyone judge you in it. Don't judge one another, whether you do or whether you don't. He says that to the church in Rome as well. We did a whole um, episode on Romans 14, if you want to look at that. But he says, live by the Spirit. Don't gratify the desires of the flesh. And then he goes on to tell us what those desires of the flesh are in verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousings, and things like these. Now, here's what's interesting to me. Whenever I was still a legalistic Christian, these works of the flesh they still manifested themselves, and I made no effort to put them in check. Now, that doesn't mean that I was running around fornicating or engaging in licentiousness or sexual impropriety. No, I've been faithful to my wife for 17 years, and I fully intend on being faithful to her until one of us dies. And hopefully, it'll be like the notebook and we'll die together, but it, that's another story for another time. I didn't engage in those things. I didn't engage in idolatry. But one of the things I've noticed in a lot of legalistic faith systems is that the people, the Christians that are involved in those faith systems, some of these works of the flesh still manifest. I mean, how many of us have seen enmities and that's that strife between brethren over questionable matters, Paul calls it in, in Romans 14. How many of us have engaged in arguments over over whether or not someone's qualified to serve as an elder or whether or not this is something we ought to do as a church or whether we can give money to this person or we can give money to that person or if we can do this or if we can do that. You know, we go round and round and round. What about jealousy? How many times have we seen people be jealous of one another, sisters jealous of other sisters? How many times have we seen preachers jealous of other preachers or teachers jealous of other teachers? How many times have we seen jealousy rear its ugly head? within legalistic faith systems. How many times have we seen anger and quarrels break out? And dissension? You want to talk about division? The churches of Christ are one of the most divided denominations in the entirety of Christendom. Divisions, 
dissensions, factions. Oh, we have factions. We have the mainline faction. We have the non-institutional faction. We have the one cup, no Sunday school faction. We have the one cup Sunday school faction. We have the um, multiple cup, no Sunday school faction. We have the no exception faction. We have factions of every every shape and size. These are works of the flesh. Legalistic paradigms do not change lives. Legalistic paradigms do not transform a person into a follower of Christ. Legalistic paradigms do not allow the Christian in question to fully yield to the Holy Spirit to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul says, I'm warning you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, he says in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness. Oh, I I said gentleness twice. Generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us be guided by the Spirit. And so we've talked a little bit about love, which is very, very straightforward. We've talked a little bit about joy. And this evening with the time we have left, this won't be a long episode, and I mean that, we're going to talk a little bit about peace. One of the things that I believe allows us to calibrate ourselves to know if we are God's and if we are following Him in the way He desires for us to follow Him is if these fruits of the Spirit manifest themselves in our lives. So whenever you become a Christian, do you have love in your heart above everything that you've had before? Do you have more love? Are you manifesting more love? Are you loving people better? Are you loving more people? Are you loving people that are other than you? Even people who engage in behavior that you don't agree with, even people that are engaging in blatantly and fragrantly sinful behavior, do you still love them? Do you show love to them? Do you show kindness to them? If the Holy Spirit is working on you, if you belong to Christ, that love will begin to manifest. And then there's joy. Joy of knowing your sins are forgiven. Joy in knowing that as God's imager, you are now a part of the family of God. Knowing that you're one of His, that you were bought with a price, that you were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, you have joy in your life. That doesn't mean, like we said in the episode before, that that problems aren't going to arise. That doesn't mean that you're not going to face persecution, perhaps, or troubles in life, or things may not go your way all the time, but it still means that overall, the trajectory of your life should be a more joyful life. Now, peace. What is peace? This is one of those things we know what peace is. Peace is a contentment within your own life. You're free of worry. You're free of fear, more or less. It means that things are, I don't want to say easy because that's not the right word, but there's little in the way of conflict. There's little in the way of of dissension. It means that, that in your social circles, you're getting along pretty well with most people, but inside your heart, Generally speaking, you have peace. You're not worried about getting everything right. You're not worried about checking all the right boxes. You're not worried about making sure that that you've done everything God wants you to do and, and just in case you miss something. 
You're not afraid of hellfire. You're not afraid of losing your soul. There is no fear with peace. Now, does that mean that fear won't arise? I've initially, and it happens much, much less frequently than it did before, but I am blessed to have peace at this point in my spiritual life. That's the general demeanor that I have. It's a peaceful demeanor in terms of my spiritual walk. At the very beginning, whenever I began to question things and I began to reevaluate my faith and I began to reevaluate my spiritual life, I did not have peace. Whenever I was still entrenched in the legalistic paradigm, I did not have peace. I didn't have peace, even though I thought that I had everything figured out and I thought that I had all the right answers and I thought that I ascribed to all of the right ideologies that God expects his people to ascribe to, even though I had all that and I was confident in my salvation, I still didn't really have peace. And the reason for that is, is I constantly was seeking validation for what I believed by engaging in argumentation and discussions, not good faith discussions either, in an effort to grow and to learn more, which is what we try to model on this podcast, our discussions in which we try to grow. We try to learn more about other beliefs and other paradigms. We try to learn about other people. We try to embrace and recognize and honor experience that other people have had. All of those are good things. We have our conversations on this podcast in good faith, but I didn't engage in conversation in good faith. A lot of times, most of the time I was trying to, to trap people. I was trying to have debates. I was trying to discuss things in logical terms, present various syllogisms and, and logical constructions so that I could prove just how smart I was. And so I could prove just how right I was. If I could win this argument against this person who I respect and who I think is a pretty sharp person, if I can win that argument, well, then my perspective is more validated now. And I really believe that that's a lot of what fuels evangelism within legalistic sects is a legalistic sect exists and, and it seeks legitimacy. It wants to be legitimate. And so we want to legitimize ourselves and we want to, to establish ourselves as the expert when in fact we may not be. And whenever that's the case and whenever that legitimacy is driving you and, and you're looking to be to, to verify those beliefs by challenging other people and other paradigms in an argumental contest that you can win. Whenever you're doing that, the foundation you're built on is not a peaceful foundation because at the core of that behavior is the thought process. What if I'm wrong? What if all of these answers that I think are the right answers what if they're not right? What if there's something I've missed in my studies? What if the Baptists are right? Oh, that's scandalous. Oh, well, there's no way the Baptists can be right. In a discussion I had with somebody whenever we, Kim and I were still very much in the early stages of, of navigating these waters, I had someone come to me that, that was concerned for my soul and one of the statements this person made is, is, well, you know who's really going to love the content? This is in the early days of the podcast when we were talking about how heaven isn't going to really be all that small. And there's going to be more people there and God desires relationship. One of the things that was said, one of the statements made was, you know who's really going to like your podcast? The Baptists. They're really going to love it. They're going to eat it up. I mean, do you really think Baptists are going to heaven? 
And at that point, I wasn't ready to say yes. At that point, I, I still had one foot in one door and one foot in in this other door. It, it, going down this trajectory of a more grace-centered faith, a more Christ-centered faith, I wasn't ready to say that yet. I didn't know. At that point, I didn't have peace. But before then, I didn't have peace either. Because I had met these other people that were Baptist or Methodist or Lutheran or Presbyterian or Episcopal or, or whatever else. These other Christians that belong to other faiths. And I just, it was hard for me because I meet these people that are good people. I meet these people that love Jesus. They obviously love Jesus with the way they live their lives. And it just, it it ate me alive. The paradigm that I was entrenched within said, these aren't real Christians. These are people that aren't going to be going to heaven. And yet, It was so hard for me to fathom that God would prohibit these people who manifested love better than I did at that point and who still do in large part. They're going to be lost. They're going to lose their souls over a technicality because they didn't think the right things, because they didn't hold the appropriate beliefs. And then that, you know, meant that, you know, these women folk were wearing pants or they were cutting their hair. That just, it it was hard to fathom. I didn't have peace because of that, but it was also, I also didn't have peace within myself because of that fear of not having it all figured out. A legalistic paradigm cannot manifest the fruits of the spirit. A legalistic paradigm, you're not going to see the fruit of the spirit manifest itself fully in the way that God wants it to manifest in our lives. Because whenever you have a life that's peaceful, having peace, if, if you have only lived in chaos Peace can be kind of scary whenever you first begin to experience it. Whenever the disquiet in my own mind began to erode because I was fully coming to terms with what the Bible actually teaches about the nature of God and what it teaches about Jesus and what it means to follow Him and to have a relationship with Him, whenever that disquiet was eroding, and I began to really find peace in my own spiritual life, oh my goodness, everything changed. But it was weird at first because it didn't make a lot of sense. I didn't know what it was like to not have conflict running in the background of my mind all the time, trying to think through and reason through different spiritual constructs and syllogisms and and logical constructions and things like that. I, I didn't really know what to do with myself. How can I engage in an argument with a Calvinist if I view that Calvinist as my brother in Christ? Now, I don't ascribe to Calvinism. I don't believe in Calvinism. I I don't believe that that's an appropriate perspective on Christianity. But shoot, for a long time, I didn't have an appropriate perspective on Christianity either. So how could I say that my Calvinist brothers lost whenever I myself wasn't engaged in, in a fully biblically, spiritually appropriate form of faith? Letting go of all that. And stopping the finger pointing and the castigation of others who thought differently than I did about spiritual things, letting go of all that and trusting that God knows what He's doing, that helped a ton. That brought about peace. Being able to recognize that my mission as a Christian is to be the image of God and to be Jesus to the people in this world 
that has allowed the fruit of the Spirit to manifest itself in my life to a tremendous degree. I've been able to love better. I have found joy. I've become a more gentle person. And my kids will testify to that. Even though in traffic I still get a little hot, I'm still working on that too. I've become more patient. I've become more generous. I have more self-control now than I ever have before. Leaving behind legalism, what that did is it took the pressure off of me to be perfect because I can't be perfect. Legalism, really it's focused and centered on the individual. If you're able to make it to heaven and you're able to be holy in a legalistic framework, it's because of what you did. It really doesn't have all that much to do with Jesus. I mean, all Jesus did was come down on earth and die on a cross and shed his blood so that we can have that gap between God and us, between us and heaven bridged. And it really stops there. There's no continual transformation. There's no real change. It's an altogether different system of recognizing who Jesus is and what God wants of me, and that's to be like Jesus, those fruits of the Spirit, they begin to manifest in, in to a great degree. So peace. Do you have peace in your life at this point? Do you have peace in your spirit journey? Because if, if you don't have peace, the question is, why don't you have peace? That doesn't mean that there's not going to be times in which peace may be in short supply, we have had some familial strife that has reared its head, unfortunately, with extended family. We've had other issues that we have had to work through, Kim and I. Not, not with each other. Our marriage is better than it's ever been before. We have grown much more deeply in our love and appreciation for one another, which our marriage has always been good, but is really good now. And that's a wonderful thing. But in general... Whenever you're following Jesus, even if you're in the midst of the greatest storm of life ever, you can have peace, and you'll have that peace within. If you don't have that peace, maybe there's something else you need to let go of. Maybe there's something going on in your life, and just peace is going to be in short supply until you weather that particular storm and you come through the other side. That very well may be the case. Maybe there are family issues that are depriving you of your peace. Maybe there's issues at work or issues at school or issues with, with anything that's depriving you of peace. It's preventing you from finding that full peace because you're in a tumultuous time in your life. That may be the case. It may be that there's you're not doing anything wrong at all. It's just that's just the way it is at this point in life, in this stage of life. But hold fast. Because if you seek to follow Jesus and you yield to the Spirit, peace will come. It is a promise. It will happen. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may not even be this year. I mean, heaven knows with COVID, there's been a severe shortage of peace, especially in terms of the Ukraine and everything going on in this world right now. Peace is in short supply. It really is. But you can have it, even a little bit of it, by following Jesus. It can happen for you. It absolutely can. It's happened for me. I believe it can happen for you. That's really all I have to say about the fruit of the Spirit being peace. I mean, I didn't really get into a whole lot of scripture on this. I had intended to. I actually have quite a few notes here, but I just kind of went off the cuff and just kind of 
talked about what was on my heart and spoke from experience. So hopefully this is helpful to you. I'm looking forward to Kevin being back. We miss Kevin. We love it when he's here. But in any case, we do the best we can with what we got. And hopefully it'll be good enough for you. If you like our podcast, please subscribe to it. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook. Go ahead and give us a like over there. Join our discussion board that we have on Facebook. Go ahead and give us that five-star review on iTunes as well. Share this podcast with your friends. Share it with your family. We appreciate you. We want to keep this thing going. We want to keep it growing. And so far, we're off to a really good start. And it's all because of your help. So thank you all very much. Have a good night.